Portland has rarely seen a deadlier weekend. A mass shooting at Normandale Park left one dead. A drive-by shooter killed a mother and wounded her one and five-year-old. Portland police fatally shot a man while responding to a disturbance call. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, Maxine Bernstein and Shane Dixon-Kavanaugh. Max has covered police and law enforcement issues for the Oregonian since 1998. Shane is our Portland City Hall reporter. We talked about the unprecedented and continued gun violence in Portland, what police and political leaders are saying, the potential ripple effects, the devastating shootings last weekend, and much more. Here's our conversation. Maxine Bernstein, Shane Dixon-Kavanaugh, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Andrew. So Max, last year was the most violent on record in Portland, and we're off to a terrible start this year. I know there's not any simple way or simple answer to this, but why is this happening? That's the million dollar question. But um, I think, you know, police, observers, uh, legal experts point to a combination of factors, including the isolation of the pandemic, uh, which has continued now into its third year. Locally, the elimination of the police bureau's gun violence reduction team uh, without any immediate alternative to replace it. And uh, since then, there's been a new focused intervention team, a group of 12 officers and two sergeants who began just this year, just January, to hit the streets to focus on trying to intervene in the gun violence. So they're still feeling their way. Plus, there's been a wave of retirements and vacancies in the police bureau. There's fewer officers on the street and there's more restrictions in terms of uh, police have been directed not to uh, conduct traffic stops on violations. Um, so there's some sense um, among experts that people carrying guns are more emboldened. They're, they don't feel they're going to get necessarily stopped and pulled over. So more people are... Uh, feel emboldened to, to carry and aren't fearful that they're going to get arrested. Those are a few of the factors. Yeah. And Shane, I know that anyone who follows you on Twitter will will notice that you have been tracking not just Portland, but how this trend is playing out nationally. And as Max mentioned, it there seems to be this narrative that this is all part of a national trend, but things are a bit different here in Portland, it seems, right? Well, what I've seen and have looked at is both sort of what's happening nationally and how Portland fits into that national narrative with the rise in uh, shootings and homicides. And then what exactly is it that is making Portland an outlier as well? And I think I mentioned to you earlier, Andrew, uh, and Max sort of mentioned this too, that Talking with criminologists and sociologists and policing experts, I mean, everybody, there's sort of a consensus at this point that beginning in 2020, there was sort of a convergence of factors that they believe led to a rise in homicides nationally, that being the uh, destabilizing uh, social effects of the pandemic, the uh, social justice protests here in Portland and nationally, and then also just the continued proliferation of guns in major American cities. But even when we're talking about the rise in homicides nationally in 2020, uh, the national average homicides were up 
30%. Here in Portland, it was 83%. I mean, that's a huge difference. It, it really makes Portland's story in 2020 somewhat exceptional. And it continued into 2021, where we saw homicide rates begin to taper off or not increase as substantially in most American cities. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Portland, we broke our all-time homicide record last year. And going into this year, uh, we're already on pace to break last year's record. Piggybacking a little bit on what Max was talking about, what are some of the issues that Portland is confronted with? There's the policing issue, which is, as I think Max mentioned, we eliminated our gun violence reduction team during a 83% rise in homicides and shootings. We didn't have a specialized team focused on gun violence in Portland during last year and only got a new one off the ground a month ago. But at the same time, the other sort of approaches to public safety, alternatives to policing, there just hasn't been sort of the creation of those types of infrastructure yet here locally. We're focusing on uh, funding more community-based organizations to focus on gun violence prevention, alternatives like the Portland Street response to policing, but those things are still in their infancy. Meanwhile, we eliminated specialty units focused on gun crimes, and to Max's point, we've also just seen a record number of departures in uh, the police bureau. So we kind of have a, if not broken, public safety system in Portland, it's an extremely diminished one. Max, what do you hear from people inside the police bureau? I mean, because this is now multiple years and this really devastating slew of incidents, uh, shooting incidents, both the fatal police shooting, a drive-by shooting, and the mass shooting uh, near Normandale Park that we'll talk about here in a minute. What are you hearing from your sources at the police bureau? Like, how are they grappling with all of this and what what's their reaction just to the violence many are saying i told you so i they expected this year to be worse than last year uh a lot of you know the dismantled uh gun violence team the lack of a of any replacement uh until just a month ago um and also there used to be strong cohesion uh, between police, out gang outreach workers, community groups. They used to meet together in the same room every two weeks and hash out what they're seeing on the street and how to respond. And that I haven't seen happen in more than a year, two years or so. And it seems wow. like the city's struggling to figure out how to get back to some some uh, cohesive, strong, unified response to the shootings, but it just hasn't occurred. You know, the lieutenant of this new focused intervention team, Ken Dulios, after this really unprecedented number of shootings, uh, said it was beyond anything he even imagined in a worst case scenario. So morale is not great in the police bureau. There's fewer resources and I know after this weekend of violence, there was a push by police brass and the mayor's office, city leaders to try to get some response. They were, they're offering extra overtime, uh, hours for the officers that are on the force. Um, but they really couldn't find, you know, officers elsewhere to add to the 
to the number on the street. So I think the members of this new focus intervention team are real committed and eager to make a difference. Um, but you know, there's, there's so much to do. Yeah. So before we talk about what we know at this time about Normandale, I just kind of big picture question here. We've, we've had violence at protests, though the, the majority of protests were extremely nonviolent. There were violence surrounding protests. There were thousands of incidents of use of force documented by the police bureau against protesters. There's the Aaron Danielson sh- fatal shooting. How do you both fit the Normandale shooting into this broader context and experience in the city? Because it's, you know, it, it's a lot. Well, I haven't seen anything like that in the, in the, in, I'm trying to think. I mean, we've had that, like the max train multiple stabbing that was multiple victims and there are multiple, uh, deaths. Um, so that, that obviously stood out and it was horrific. Um, this was, you know, not too late. It's about 8 p.m. It's on the edge of a community, uh, park. Mm-hmm. Um, and a 60 year old woman who's not armed and others who are unarmed. A uh, 60-year-old woman was killed and um, four others were wounded. So um, after a, a man who's armed uh, approaches them and demands they leave the park as they're helping to set up and uh, free up traffic for the start of this racial justice march, justice for Patrick Kimmins, a, a man who was a black man who was shot and killed by police in 2018 after he had wounded two other men and was running seen running with a gun so it it was pretty yeah unusual what let's talk about the the incident itself i guess what do we know what more do we know here we're talking on a friday morning what more do we know about about normandale about the alleged shooter and about the victims so uh, a few dozen protesters had gathered at the park um it's in northeast portland uh there were an number of people who are on the periphery trying to keep traffic at bay at the southwest corner of the park. Um, and they were participating in this Justice for Patrick Kimmins march. Um, they were about to participate in the march. The march hadn't started. A man who lives in an apartment complex right at that corner is accused of confronting the uh, people who were trying to prepare and and keep traffic out of the way at the edge of the park and demanded, according to a probable cause affidavit, that they leave. And they uh, other witnesses described a shouting match. Um, You know, uh, he was demanding that they get the heck out of there. And there were women who were trying to uh, apparently calm him down and ask him to go back home. And according to this affidavit, he demanded that they quote unquote make him leave and, uh, is accused of aggressively approaching one of the protest participants and, uh, someone pushed him back. And then he's accused of drawing a, a handgun and firing and, and hitting five people until someone and the crowd fired back and struck him in the hip. Uh, so he's um, seriously wounded and hospitalized and now charged with second-degree murder and attempted murder and assault. 
Uh, one 60-year-old woman was killed and uh, four others are wounded. Yeah, and apparently one of the victims is paralyzed from from what we know. I'm curious, Shane, what, how is this all being received from the political brass inside Portland City Hall? I mean, this is now, you know, it's a pretty shocking incident, but it's not coming at it. It's coming after, as we just set up, you know, uh, the worst and most violent year in city history. Well, I think similar to what the police lieutenant said over the weekend, that this weekend of shootings, which included the Normandale uh, shooting, but also a drive-by shooting that killed a killed a 25 year old mother wounded her partner and also wounded her one and five year old children and then also a fatal police shooting in southwest portland roll those things together all of them occurred within a 30 hour period at the beginning of an already very deadly year and uh, i mean folks at city hall are really struggling right now in much the same way that i think Many people in Portland are trying to grapple with just this real sort of instability that appears to be permeating just the sort of fabric of the city right now. Political leaders, as I've reported, and I think you, Andrew, you and I have talked about previously, I mean, public safety, uh, crime, shootings, homicides has been sort of the one of the biggest issues confronting local leaders for the last year and a half. And they have really struggled to sort of address this issue in a meaningful way. And I, this is sort of a continuation of that. Um, when we, there was a press conference finally, uh, with the mayor and law enforcement leaders, you could very clearly see just how exhausted the mayor of Portland looked during that press conference uh it's and i can tell you that city hall staffers and other council offices uh everybody's really extremely concerned and exhausted and sort of at a loss for what to do and how to sort of confront these issues that continue to have deep and lasting impacts on this city and particular community members within it. You know, there's historically nationally, there's a, a tendency towards a reactionary conservatism following violent times, right? Or a tough on crime approach. And is there a sense from people who, who observe City Hall or inside City Hall that that might be the case here in Portland, given what we've seen? Well, a couple of things I'll share with you in response to that question we can start with just sort of looking at the mood of the electorate here in Portland. And at least by sort of initial indicators, uh, folks are pretty frustrated uh, and voters are extremely uh, upset at the moment with the sort of current city leadership and status quo. There is multiple polls uh that have been taken by a number of different groups or organizations that are showing uh, sky high uh, frustration with city hall leadership on issues of crime and homelessness in particular. Some of the city council 
incumbents who are running for re-election this year have uh, rock bottom support among the public at the moment. Those tend to be indicators. This could be an election year where folks are looking to dramatically sort of shake up city leadership or leadership at the county because we also have a county chairs race going on as well. And we've also kind of seen this uh, starting to play out in other West Coast cities that are dealing with many of the same issues that Portland is dealing with, particularly public safety and homelessness. The fact of the matter is in Seattle in November, uh, the candidate for mayor who won with 65% of the vote was a candidate who was running on a platform of increasing the number of cops in Seattle and breaking up uh, and reducing the number of homeless encampments in the city. Same thing's happening in Los Angeles, too. There's going to be a contested mayor's race this year. And even the quote-unquote progressive candidates in that race are essentially stumbling over themselves to come up with aggressive plans on homelessness and public safety. That sort of political current could potentially run through Portland during this election year as well. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk more with Max Bernstein and Shane Dixon-Kavanaugh. Max, I'm wondering if you can take us back to the homicide project that the Breaking News team produced last year. Um, I believe in, in that package, we reported that at least 60% of the shootings in Portland are somehow connected, either acts of retaliation and uh, between rival gangs or things of that nature. Do we have any sense that that's also what's playing out this year? I think police suspect that's the case. I I get the sense that they're overwhelmed, uh, responding to one after the other with not enough time to investigate each. And I know the, the community members and victims' families are also frustrated, uh, by that. But yes, uh, the, the package last year, um, we, we found that, uh, black homicide victims outnumber all other victims of color by far and are nearly as numerous as white victims in this in this city as of uh, last fall. The homicide rate for black people was nearly eight times higher than for white people based on our population in Portland. And uh, more than three-fourths of black homicide victims were men in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And all but two of them had been killed in shootings. So I guess when you look at that data set, and then you look at the wedge shooter here and the victim, it seems like this is a, this doesn't fit into the, the, the trend that we saw in the last two years. When we look at Normandale, it's an, it's an outlier for a number of reasons. Right. It, it seems, uh, you know, many of the local civil rights groups are calling it, uh, it hasn't been charged as a hate crime, but they, they believe it was motivated by hate that, uh, the accused gunman is had a history of lashing out against uh, local protests, even just ranting and raving about it or writing on social media some of his um, his viewpoints. Um, so I know they're speaking out, uh, feeling that the city hasn't done enough to address that aspect of what occurred. 
Have you been been able to glean anything more, Max, in your reporting? I know you put this question to law enforcement officials earlier. Uh, that w- was was uh, Benjamin Smith on on uh, on people's radar, given his online presence, given his comments. Uh, have you learned anything more about that? Yes, I spoke to a software engineer in Oklahoma. The engineer mentioned that uh, she had. Uh, contact with Smith online when some music operation system was discontinued and he lashed out at basically the software engineering community for discontinuing what he relied on to to uh, listen to his music on the computer and didn't just lash out but alleged to have made threats to come to their homes and show up and with guns and knives. So they were fearful and, uh, they filed complaints with the FBI's internet, um, internet crime complaint center, filed online complaints, uh, many years ago. I think it was, um, 2007 or 2008. Wow. And they said they got, you know, just the usual response that their complaint was received, but never heard back that it had been investigated. And uh, local police here, they didn't have any record. I've, I have a public records request in currently for more information, possibly. You also reported, Max, that you know this, this is a, a man who had a lot of guns and wasn't, wasn't shy in brandishing them, right? Even at his apartment complex. Right. I spoke to his roommate and neighbors and there was, it's a courtyard type complex and in the middle people sometimes gather and, uh, he would sometimes see people, uh, homeless people who were rummaging through trash in the courtyard and he was, they, neighbors said he would come out of his second floor apartment with a firearm and, you know, threaten, threaten, uh, the homeless people to get off the property. He would uh, show others the guns that he had. His roommate said he collected uh, the firearms. He thought he had about four in the apartment. It appears from from our reporting that this is a guy that, like like you mentioned, his his anger issues and threats go back years, but it seemed to have intensified in in recent years. Conversely, June Knightley, the the woman who was shot and killed. Uh, near Normandale Park also appears to have really gotten inv- involved and was touched and moved by these racial justice movements. I know our colleague Noel Crombie did a lot of reporting on this. It seems like she had really become involved in the racial justice protests and was a kind of a staple in terms of her attendance as a traffic coordinator and someone who who was involved out there. Yeah, I think a lot of um her wife and uh, others who uh, would be at these protests described her as a protector, that um, she would be in a a, a van and, and she'd help ensure that people were, could safely march and uh, traffic was stopped. And she would also help uh, carry people who could not march the full length of the demonstration from one point to another, and they described her as uh, T-Rex, but um, that was her nickname. 
and there's been a huge outpouring uh, memorial at the site in the park uh, in her memory. Max, you've been out there reporting, and you've been reporting in this city for decades. I mean, what wh- what was it like to go out there and describe the scene and, and your experience out there? I went out there a day or so later when people were chalking up this uh, area in, in, in the middle of the park and leaving candles and flowers and remembrances to the victims who were shot. And, um, you know, I think people were really impacted by what occurred and devastated that this could occur in a city park with uh, people who were shot, who are not armed and uh, falling victim to this type of violence. Um, but also on another part of the park, there's a dog park and, and it seemed you know, life continues, obviously, but uh, I think um, people who knew the alleged gunman, uh, they knew he hadn't come home the next night, and they saw the coverage of what occurred, and many wondered if he was involved. And, And when they learned he was arrested and charged, unfortunately, they weren't surprised. It's interesting you mentioned that kind of life goes on and I'm I'm curious for I'll start with you Shane but I mean we've had so many different crises that we've you've reported on over the last few years and life just continues to go on in this in the city and, and obviously that that is just life I guess as 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 we know it but I'm wondering like where you think this all goes from here what are you interested in tracking and just paying attention to Shane uh as we kind of move beyond and past this? Well, I, I think I'm, go- I'm going to answer your question by sort of keeping it specifically focused on uh, the the Normandale shooting and sort of the aftermath and the ripple effects of this uh, partic- particular and horrific event. You know, one of the things that I've been sort of thinking about in this context, Andrew, is that there has clearly been uh, violence or you know, the threat of violence or potential confrontations has been an issue that has cropped up at demonstrations and protests in Portland for years now. I mean, as you mentioned earlier on, there was a protest participant who was fatally shot yeah. in 2020 uh, back in August uh, of this last year, there was a shootout in downtown Portland following a clash between uh, right-wing and left-wing activists. Uh, I have covered a, a story of a right-wing videographer getting stabbed uh, by a uh, left-wing demonstrator during the 2020 protests. And I mean, there are countless other examples of this type of uh, thing occurring. But Protest culture in Portland is uh, a really enduring feature of this city, and thousands of Portlanders have participated in countless demonstrations and protests in recent years. And I mean, this type of event, uh, this type of shooting, what happened last week, I just imagine that it has to have such a chilling effect 
on people uh, and uh, and people being able to exercise their First Amendment rights. Yeah, it's just uh, I mean, there it it really makes you wonder just how often we have come close to a situation like this unfolding previously, and it did this time around. And I, so I am really just wondering how that's going to affect uh, something that has been a very central feature of our city in the last couple of years. Yeah. And, and really generationally, right? I mean, you go back, it's part of the fabric of, of the city. And I think you're, you're right to, to question the chilling effect. Obviously, people have been traumatized by this uh, a terrifying, terrifying incident. And to that point, again, even if uh, there were only a, a few dozen uh, protest participants for this Patrick Kimmons march, I have to imagine there are tens of thousands of Portlanders who have been on a march in the last couple of years. So this affects anyone who's ever uh, you know, participated in such a demonstration. And to think that doing something as simple and benign as go uh, as a political march could result in a confrontation where somebody's going to pull out a gun and start shooting unarmed people. I mean, that's just extremely disturbing. Max, and I'll close with you. Is there anything you would want to add on that or just kind of what you're thinking about as we, you know, this is so fresh in our uh, collective minds here, but I'm wondering if there's anything you're thinking about. I was thinking back to, um, you know, the mom, mother of Patrick Kimmons, Letha Winston. She's had these Instagram live videos since this incident. And I think most recently she said she'll continue to march, but she's, she's, um, pausing some of the organized, uh, justice for Patrick Kimmons marches. And, uh, she also said on one of her, um, live broadcasts that, they have never relied on police. And, you know, that's just an element here. Um, you know, some people look to police to protect them when there's a large demonstration or protest. But in, in the city of Portland, there's clearly a, a large group who are distrustful of police and uh, don't want them present. So that creates another challenge here in portland well there's the the several thousand incidents of use of force that we right. hit on earlier so it's a very um complex and fraught and dynamic situation thank you both for all your reporting on it and for taking time to talk to me today thank you andrew yeah thanks so much thanks for listening to beat check with you oregonian i shared links to some of our recent coverage in the episode notes if you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. Until a friend, help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.